waiting can be difficult. We live in a, a culture today where waiting is especially hard because everything is so much about convenience and efficiency, right? I mean, think about it for just a moment. When it comes time to reheating your turkey dinner, uh, would you rather do that in the oven or would you rather throw it in the microwave, right? The answer is simple, the microwave. It's simple, it's easy. You have to wait less. Waiting is especially hard when as you're waiting, you're feeling uncomfortable. Maybe you're waiting for a child either to be conceived or to be born and you're living in that uncomfortable feeling. Maybe you're waiting for a good prognosis from a disease or illness and you're enduring pain and feeling the uncomfortableness of that. Waiting is especially hard in those moments. And this is the, the purpose of Advent, a season that we're kicking off today. Advent is the Latin word, comes from the Latin word for coming, which is the anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ in the season. And the purpose of the season is to wait. It's a practice that's been going on in the church since the fourth century and oftentimes met with fasting and waiting in anticipation for what's to come. And the next month we're going to be lighting candles of Advent representing different things like hope and joy. In the Bible, what we see is that God's people for hundreds of years endured the hardship of waiting. They endured slavery, waiting for freedom. They endured wandering in the desert, waiting for a promised land. They endured exile from their country, waiting to get back home over and over and over again. They endured the demands of the law, waiting for a Messiah who would one day come and make things right. Their waiting was, was hard. And even for us today, let's be honest, our waiting isn't easy either. In a divided nation where we see moral decay or we look around us and we see family disrepair, or confusion, anger, Frustration. We are waiting for something just to get better. We feel the words from the Apostle Paul when he writes in Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And this is where Advent comes in and it interrupts us. Our society operates at, at such a speed and such a hurriedness that it keeps us from really just pausing, reflecting, going inward to find the Spirit, examining. And the waiting of Advent allows us to slow down, to pause. And it allows us to hear clearly from the Spirit of God. Advent allows us the space to realize that you and I, we are still waiting. That the pull of sadness, even during joyful holidays, after all the gifts and all the family have left and we're just back to work and all of a sudden we're back in the routine and that sadness creeps up and we realize there's something more. There has to be. And we're waiting for the return of our God, the return of Jesus Christ. 
in these moments we remember our dependence on God, that we need him every waking moment for our strength and our power and our comfort. This is why we stop and pay attention in Advent. This is what we're waiting for. We await our Savior who will come once again. And by fixing our eyes on our Savior, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, and as we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, what inevitably happens is that we end up looking more and more like him. We grow in Christ-likeness, and God changes us day after day. We're all longing for something more, for something deeper, for hope in the future. Deep down, we all are longing for the return of our King and our Lord. Each of us needs this interruption of the season. We need to remember that we're waiting. We need this season of Advent. We need, each of us, to long more deeply for Jesus Christ. God, you threw the whole world a curveball when you showed us a kind of hope we'd never thought to look for. Born of poverty, between the walls of a rickety barn, and into the fragile arms of a nervous young mom, Jesus arrived, unable to defend himself, much less anyone else. We'd been hoping for security, and you gave us a baby. And then, the expectations kept being shattered. Jesus healed those who could do nothing for him. He handed out hope to people the world turned away. Jesus showed us a new way of life, a life that works from the inside out. Hope lives with us, then inside us, and moves from our hearts into the world. Jesus gave us hope beyond this life, hope no one else has to give, hope that shows up in a manger as a gift we don't deserve, but we gratefully receive. We call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Amen. Good morning, and uh, welcome to the first week at Advent. I, uh, uh, I grew up Catholic, uh, for which I am always grateful. Learned a lot of good things there. Maybe some things not so hot, but it was good, uh, and I am truly grateful for that upbringing. But we celebrated Advent every year, and then, uh, so if you grew up maybe Lutheran or Presbyterian or Anglican, or I don't know, or something like that, you, you may have that tradition in your upbringing as well. When our kids were real small, uh, we still have an Advent wreath with candles, and we did Advent with them uh, in a reading every Sunday night. So we have a, uh, we're pretty used to Advent, so maybe this is new to some of you. Uh, and if so, uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to start with, uh, with this. It's interesting to note as you read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, every gospel account of the resurrection begins at the exact same point. The exact same point. It starts at morning. It starts at the dawn of a brand new day, uh, the start of a new day, because Jesus is risen at the beginning of a new, a, a new day. And so that makes us, that makes those who believe in Jesus, those who know him personally, that makes us uh, people who look to the future. 
Take a look at this uh, scripture, a uh, little mashup of scripture from Luke chapter 21. talks about uh, the, begin, or, uh, the signs of the Son of Man. I'm not going to read all that, but you can just kind of take a quick look at it. And you get the idea that, man, what Jesus is talking about, this is pretty heavy stuff. And this is not light fluff. Um, you know, this, this is some pretty heavy stuff. But you notice what is not in there, what Jesus never says. He never says, hey, the end is coming. Go hide yourself. Watch out. Take preparation because, you know, it's all going to come crashing down in gloom and doom. He never says any of that. He says, when you see the signs of the Son of Man, lift up your heads. In other words, wait and watch. The second coming of Christ uh, is reason for hope. It's a reason that we, we walk uh, literally, uh, I hope, and figuratively, spiritually, with our heads up. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. It's what the uh, Jewish believers would recite as they ascended the hill to worship at the temple. I lift up my eyes to the hills. In other words, despite the circumstances, despite what's going on out there, despite what's going on in my family, despite what's going on in my checkbook, any of that, I lift up my eyes to the Lord purposely. That's a reason for hope. That's an expression of hope. And when we express hope, when we say, uh, use that word hope in a sentence, often what we're expressing along with hope is, to some degree, a little element of doubt. Sometimes it's things that I have no control over whatsoever. I hope my team wins. I have no stock in how they perform. I didn't help them prepare. I got nothing to do with any of that, but I hope they win. Sometimes we do have stock in the outcome, as in this. I've studied, I've prepared, uh, I've practiced, I've rehearsed, I've readied myself. And so uh, it, might look, it might sound like this. I hope we invested wisely in our retirement. I hope that we did the best. I hope that we raised our kids well. Time will tell, right? And so those are cases where maybe we had a little something to do with it, but still there's an element of hope. But even in expressing that hope, I'm expressing just a little bit of doubt, okay? Well, hope is this. Biblical hope is focused on something much more specific than just casting it out there and wishing for the best. And that's what we'll talk about this morning is what real hope is founded on. Real hope is an expectation and a trust and a confidence and specifically an expectation of something that's sure, something that's certain, something that's rock solid. I can take it to the bank. We'll talk about a bank again in just another couple minutes. Psalm 62 is written in the middle of trouble and it says this, Yes, my soul, the psalmist says, find rest in God, my hope. That is, my expectation and trust and confidence comes from him. Well, let me tell you scripturally how specific God is about hope in his word. Again, hope is not just a kind of a nebulous thing out there and maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. God is specific about hope. Hebrews 11 says this. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and it's the evidence, something I can get my hands on, it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, that, that's good. I like that. that. That's good. But as they say on the infomercials, right when they think you're about to close the deal, they say, but wait, there's more. And there is more in Scripture. If you go to Titus chapter 2, 
that says this. It says, the grace of God has appeared that offers uh, salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. That is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's hope, then there's blessed hope. There's confident expectation, and then there's this blessed hope. Blessed refers to this. The language, original language refers to God make, doing something in addition to creating hope, him making himself large, enlarging himself, extending himself toward you, toward your need. Think in terms of this scripture. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So God is reaching himself out to you. That's uh, blessed hope, extending his favor and his benefits toward you. And there's another element to that that's denoted in this, this word, and we'll get to that in just a second. But hope is help in time of need. I, I need hope help right now. Blessed hope is help in time of need and it's help down the road a ways because maybe my need is, is out there a ways. It's not here just yet, okay? But I'm going to need hope then too. And so we're looking forward to ultimate hope. So with all that in mind, here's a definition of hope, a working definition of hope. It's God extending himself toward us and that produces expectation, trust, and confidence in him. And here's the other connotation. That makes us enviable. That makes us people to be envied. As unbelievers, as others, look at our lives. They look at the way we live. They look at uh, maybe our past and the fact that we're not rooted there anymore. We've, we've come out of that. The blessings in our, the way we interact with other people. That makes us people who are to be envied. So that's blessed hope, okay? Well, there's an old saying you've, you've heard, I'm sure, and it says, goes like this. A picture paints a thousand words, right? A picture paints a thousand words. And with that in mind, I want to give you four pictures of hope, and some of them you probably have never thought of before. I want to give you four pictures of hope, and my prayer, my hope, uh, is that one of these pictures, one or more, will stick to your brain like a Post-it note. Because that may be exactly what you need to hear this morning. And so here are four, quickly, four pictures of hope. But before I get to the first one, let me tell you this. Uh, here, here's the way Scripture works. Uh, Psalm 1, for instance, is, uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night, and he'll be, here's the picture, he'll be, like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. That's a picture of a person who doesn't do certain things, but does put his hope in the Word of God. So there's, that's how that works in Scripture, okay? So here are four pictures quickly of hope from uh, Scripture, and I'll give you Scripture for each one of these. First of all, this one will sound really strange, maybe. Hope is a commodity. Hope is a commodity. And that might seem a little weird because you think of a commodity, you think of a raw uh, material, a natural resource, you know, something that you, you mine out of the earth or something that you used uh, in a factory to develop something else to, to create another product or something. Uh, so again, that might sound kind of weird. But think in terms of commodity. Think in terms of things that God has given you. Your personality. 
your temperament, your gifts and your abilities, your natural desires, uh, healthy desires. Uh, Think in terms of relationships that you have uh, that God has given you. Uh, Think in terms of spiritual gifts, uh, things like that. Those things are commodities. They're something that God has blessed you with, and his intention is that we use those to do something else, to bless ourselves, to bless our loved ones, to bless other people, those around us. They're precious. They're valuable. They're to be managed well. Paul told Timothy this. He told Timothy to fan into flame the gift that was given to you when I laid hands on you and prayed for you. Fan it into a flame. In other words, Timothy, uh, take the gift that God has given you and exercise it. Use it. Develop it. Don't just sit on it. It's a commodity I've given you. Take that thing and use it uh, so that you can bless other people. Or similar, a commodity is similar to these gold coins in Matthew 25 that this wealthy uh, person left uh, three, three stewards. And he went away on a trip and he came back and he needed to take account, each one of those people. What did you do with the goods, with the gold coins that I gave you? Did you invest them? Did you bury them? Did they grow? Did they earn more? What did you do with them? And so what are we doing with the commodities that the Lord has given us, with the hope that he's given us? Hope is intended to be used. It's not intended to be hoarded up. It's intended to be used. It's intended to be uh, given away to other people. As in Matthew, uh, where Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. It's input and output. Just, it just, I'm just the reservoir that it goes through, right? Okay. So think about the areas where you do have hope right now, where you do have hope about something uh, that's out in the future, something that that, uh, is in your life right now. Think about hope in this way. The things that you put your uh, time and attention into, the things that you aim yourself toward, not just your your talents, but your brain power, your thoughts and your meditations. If you look at your entire week, how much time do you aim at, at certain things? And with that in mind, ask yourself this question. Do the things that I aim myself toward, do they really matter? Do they really matter? They may not even be bad things, but ultimately, do they matter? Well, I just said uh, what number two is, the the second picture, is a reservoir. Hope is a reservoir. Again, that might sound a little weird because, you know, we think of a reservoir. We think of Sailorville or Red Rock or some big body of water used to hold water, hold a supply in reserve until we need it at a later date, um, until it's needed. Well, hope is uh, easily depleted, easily lost. And I think Peter seems to know that, and so he writes this in 1 Peter. uh, He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven and reserve in a reservoir for you. God has given us uh, an inheritance that can never perish, doesn't dry up like a, a Sailorville might dry up, It never spoils, it never goes bad, you don't have to worry about that, never fades, it never uh, turns inert, never becomes inert, loses its its, uh, energy, loses its power, and all of that, it's kept in heaven for you, and you can take that to the bank. 
Okay, So we can know hope is secure based upon these things. Here's a third word picture for you. Hope is an anchor. Hope is an anchor. Now that might make a little more sense uh, rather than uh, a, uh, a commodity or a reservoir. Hope is an anchor. You can probably think of scripture that goes along with that. We'll get to that in just a second. Before that, I want to show you this short video. So go ahead and play that for us. Yeah, that would not be the video. Let me tell you what the video says, because as you saw, it's 42 seconds. Here's a video about how to anchor your boat, okay? And here's the takeaway from the video. And it's completely wrong for the Christian life, by the way. That's why I wanted to show it to you. It says that if you want to anchor your boat, you go and you drop anchor. You figure out where you want to be. Maybe your fish finder tells you. You drop anchor somewhere out there, and you know, based on the wind and the current that day, you're going to float and you're going to end up right where you are. That makes perfect sense when you're anchoring a boat, right? That is completely 180 degrees opposite of the way we live our Christian life. We don't drop our anchor, I, I want such and such. And I drop my anchor at Jesus because I want to ask him to bless my agenda and maybe I'll float out and he'll bless me and I'll get what I want. I think that idea, that, that thinking, that concept would be completely foreign to the disciples. It's totally opposite. I drop my anchor in Jesus, and I drop my agenda too, and I surrender what I want, and I anchor to him, and wherever he and I end up floating on the water, that's his will, that's where we end up. Does that make sense? It's, otherwise, Jesus becomes a means to my end. I'm asking him to bless what I want. And that's not biblical Christianity. It's totally opposite. And so uh, the caution is that Jesus becomes a mean to our end. Um, Hebrews 6 says this. It says, we have this hope, God's promise, as an anchor for the soul. And that anchor is firm. That anchor is secure. So think about the anchors in your life. What are they? What are the things that you are anchored to? For some people, it's uh, their natural abilities, their personality, their talents, education, finances, my reputation. For some people, their, their main anchors are another person. I'm really anchored to this person. I'm, I'm, I'm tied together with them. Wherever they go, I go. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those like anything else, they become out of balance. Here's what Psalm tw chapter 20 says. It says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I would suggest, I think, I'm not a military strategist, I'm guessing if you're going into battle, it would probably be a good idea to have horses and chariots. Wouldn't that make sense? But Psalm 20 is saying we don't put our trust in those things. We have them, we utilize them, we don't put our trust in them. So these other anchors we have in our lives, our education, our personality, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our relationships, we have those, we use them, but we don't put our trust in them, or we shouldn't put our trust in them. So what is your ultimate anchor, and what or in whom are you putting ultimate hope? I've known some people, maybe have too, who they um, are 
kind of, they're not walking with Jesus. They're kind of like at a distance. You know, the scripture says when, when uh, Jesus was taken in to see Caiaphas, I think it's in Luke, it says Peter followed at a distance. Sometimes people follow at a distance and they think, well, you know, I'm in the vicinity of Jesus, so that's, I'm probably included in what's going on here. You may be, you may not be. And so uh, are you included in him? Is your trust in him ultimately? And finally, here's the, uh, here's the uh, main anchor that you and I need, and it's God's word. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It lights up every step I take right now, and it lights up where I'm going, way down there. And the same with hope. I need hope, you need hope, day by day as we walk out this life, we walk out the situations in our lives. We also need hope for where we're going out there, what's out ahead of us. Well, hope is a a commodity, and it's a reservoir, and it's an anchor. And here's the final picture for you. Hope is a person. Colossians 1, Paul says that we have Christ in us, and he's the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope of glory. My hope of glory is not all these things I could name. My, my only hope of glory is Christ who lives in me. Colossians says when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we'll also be revealed with him in glory. I'm only revealed and glo- known in glory because I'm with him. Early 1700s, there was a pastor and a part-time cabinet maker by the name of Edward Mote. Edward Mote wrote a uh, hymn when he's pastoring. He wrote a hymn, and the name of the hymn was uh, The Immutable Basis of a Sinner's Hope. Boy, I look forward to singing that every Sunday, huh? I don't even know how you rhyme words with that. The Immutable Basis of a Sinner's Hope. Now, frame of reference, here is the name of Edward Mote's church. You'll love this. The name of his church was the Strict Baptist Church. Wow, the strict Baptist church. I'm just going to step out there and say maybe titling things wasn't his strong suit. I I don't know. But somewhere along the line, that hymn got some traction, and somebody renamed it, and here's what they named it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The title was changed, and the you know what the... uh, the Jews referred to Jesus as Mikwe Israel. Mikwe Israel, the hope of Israel. That's it. Jesus is the hope of Israel. Well, God, God describes the source of hope in financial terms. And uh, I've seen these scriptures for years and years and had this thought kind of cooking in the back of my head about it. And it wasn't until this past week when I started putting this all together that it just it kind of came clear to me. And I thought, wow, you know what? The Holy Spirit is a banker. Did you know that, Scott? The Holy Spirit's a banker. The Holy Spirit is a banker. Here is, in God's word, here's how God describes the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look at all this financial language. He's a guarantee of our inheritance. He's involved in the promises. Uh, He's purchased for us. He's a first installment. He guarantees that which was promised again. He's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Elsewhere, Paul says that, that Jesus canceled the debt that consisted of decrees against us. And with all that in mind, all that financial language in mind, all that, I mean, that is solid. I mean, there's no wiggle room in there. That's all, you can take that, well, the thing is you can take it to the bank, right? 
you could take that to the bank. With that in mind, let's read Hebrews chapter 11 again from the Amplified. Here's what it says. Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for or divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehending as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. I love that God's word doesn't leave any wiggle room at all. None. It's solid. It's rock solid. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. There are things that uh, I've prayed for for some time now, and, um, and I haven't seen the evidence of them yet. If you ask me right now some of these things to point to, what is the evidence that these things are working? I couldn't point to anything. I really couldn't. However, I have 1,000. We were just talking the other night uh, with my family uh, about this. I have 1,000% assurance that these things are going to work out. 1,000%. And that's not because my natural personality is all happy and positive, because that's, if you know me, that's not me. But I am 1,000% sure that God is working these things out because of everything we've talked about this morning, because of Christ. Well, if you have not caught anything this morning, I want to ask you to dial in for maybe the next 30 seconds and listen to this, all right? So here's the basis for our hope. Here, here it is. Come and if everything, all this message is in a funnel, here's the end. Here's where it comes down to. Our basis for our hope is something that God's already done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. Watchman Nee, I was just reading, uh, rereading a book a couple weeks ago by Watchman Nee called Sit, Walk, Stand, based on the book of Ephesians. Watchman Nee says this, and if you are an English teacher, literature teacher, forgive the grammar, but this is the way he writes. Uh, Watchman Nee says, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Christianity begins not with a big do, something God needs to do, or even you and I need to do, it begins with a big done, as in Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. It's done. It's done. So here's the deal. When the down payment is made, as we just saw from Scripture, when the down payment is made, I don't have to wonder whether the thing will be mine. I still wonder, but now I wonder because it's mine. Picture Abram out in the wilderness, out in the desert with God saying, look at the stars. If you could count the stars in the sky, your descendants will outnumber them. And Abram had zero evidence in the palm of his hand and in front of his eyes. Zero evidence to confirm that. But the Bible says he believed God and it was credited, there's a banking term again, it was credited to him as righteousness. He was considered righteous because he believed God. God. Abram didn't wonder whether the inheritance would be his. He wondered because it was his, because God already told him it was his. Well, it's interesting that Advent, this Advent season, uh, it happens at the time of year when everything gets dark, right? We've got December 21st coming. It'll be the darkest day of the year. I think that's kind of a metaphor for really what Advent is in the middle of darkness in the middle of all the stuff going on out there, 
Sometimes in the middle of stuff that's going on in our own hearts, there's hope. There's complete hope because of who Christ is. And uh, in the middle of all that, uh, we can look to him, we can lift our heads. As in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are, I lift up my eyes to the hills because he is my hope. I want to ask you to stand with me as we finish. And uh, again, if you grew up in uh, a Catholic or Lutheran or maybe one of those uh, sorts of uh, denominations, it's a little more liturgical uh, in their style of worship. There's a part of, uh, uh, part of the liturgy called the memorial acclamation. The memorial acclamation. Ten words, and it's ten words absolutely nailed, pinpointed at hope. And I'll ask you to recite those with me, and then I'll pray. Recite with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Well, Lord, this morning we thank you for those simple words, those ten simple words that say uh, everything that needs to be said about hope. You are the basis of our hope. You're the provider of our hope. Uh, You instill hope. You encourage hope. Everything about you is hope. And so as we end this morning with worship, with prayer, with some uh, reflection, some meditation, uh, Lord, despite the circumstances that are going on in the world, despite circumstances in our own lives, our own families, uh, this morning we lift up our eyes to the hills. In Jesus' name, amen.